0: SECTION 7 OF A BUDGET OF CHRISTMAS TALES This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson, Davy, Florida. A Western Christmas in the Old Days by Mrs. W. H. Corning Christmas week there was no school, but such a succession of dining days and visiting days and day parties and night parties that Fanny, who looked forward to the week as a season of rest, thought that the regular routine of school duties would be less fatiguing. Christmas at La Belle Prairie was the one jubilee of the year, something to be talked about for six months beforehand and to be remembered as long after it was a time of feasting and recreation for both master and servant days before preparations commenced in the kitchen various smells issued from thence savory smells of boiled baked and roasted meats and sweet delicious smells of warm pastry and steaming cakes aunt tibby was rolling pie crust or stirring cake all day long and the chopping of sausage meat the pounding of spices and the beating of eggs were constantly heard. Everything was carried on with the greatest secrecy. The children were all kept out of the kitchen, and when something good was to be transferred therefrom to Miss Caroline's storeroom, Aunt Tibby came sailing in, holding it high above the reach of the curious little heads. I don't care, said Cal. There's six pound cakes all in a row on the storeroom shelf i see em when ma opened the door and marthy says one of em got currants in it and there's a little shotar roasted whole oh how i wish christmas was come coming suddenly upon maud one day fanny found her with her apron half full of bran while her fingers were busily at work upon a few pieces of faded silk maud tried to hide them at first but finding by fanny's question of what is it, Maud? But it was too late. She had looked up with a tired, flushed face and said, Miss Fanny, don't you tell now, will you? I'm making a pincushion for Aunt Phoebe, but it won't come square all I can do. It acts awfully. Let me see what the trouble is, said Fanny, and sitting down she examined the poor cushion, which indeed, under Maud's hands, was not soon likely to come into shape. You see, said Maud. I want to give Auntie a Christmas gift and I thought a cushion would be so nice cause her old one that she wears pinned to her waist, you know, has burst a great hole and the brand keeps tumbling out. I'm going to make her a right nice one, only I wish it brighter cause Auntie likes red and yellow and all them so bad. Fanny searched her peace bag and brought forth bits of gay ribbon the sight of which threw Maud into ecstasies of delight. Then giving up the morning to the job, she cut and planned and fitted and basted together, getting all in order so that Maud could do the sewing herself. Auntie wouldn't think half so much of it if I didn't, said the child. Well and faithfully, Maud performed her labor of love, giving up her much-prized runs on the prairie and resisting all the children's entreaties to play with them Till the Christmas gift was finished. It was no small task, for Maud most heartily hated to sew, and her fingers were anything but nimble in the operation. I always did despise to sew, Miss Fanny, she said, but I'm going to make this cushion for auntie anyhow. It was finished at last, and, as Maud expressed it, it, was just as beautiful as it could be. There never was a prouder, happier child. She did not thank Fanny in words for her assistance, but that night she came softly behind her and putting her arms around her neck gave her an earnest kiss, a proceeding which called forth an exclamation of surprise from Mrs. Catlett, for Maud was very chary of her caresses. Christmas morning came, and long before daylight, every child upon the place, both black and white, was up ready to march in Christmas. There had been mysterious preparations the night before, such as the hiding of tin pans and glass bottles under the bed, and the faint tooting of an old horn heard down at the quarters, as though someone was rehearsing a part. Fanny was also astonished by an application from Little Darky Tom for permission to use her school bell, the said cow tinkler not being remarkable for sweetness of sound. Oh, yes, Tom, you may take it, but what can you want of it? Couldn't tell no ways, Miss Fanny, said Tom with a grin. Maybe Miss Fanny knowin' the morning. Morning did indeed bring an explanation of the mystery. Assembling in the yard, the children marshaled themselves into marching order. Maud, of course, being captain and taking the lead, bearing an old tin horn, while little Black Tom brought up the rear with Fanny's unfortunate cowbell. In this order, they commenced marching in Christmas to the music of the horn the beating of tin pans the rattling of bits of iron and pieces of wood the jingling of bells and the clapping of hands into the house and upstairs to the very doors of the sleeping rooms they all marched with their horrid din it was received with tolerable good-humour by all but nanny who deprived of her morning nap by the tumult Raved at the juvenile disturbers of the peace and finally threw her shoes at them as they stood on the stairway. These were directly seized upon as trophies and carried off in triumph to the quarters, where the young performers went through with the same operations. Christmas gift! Christmas gift! was the first salutation from the servants this morning, and it was well worth while to give them some trifling present were it only to hear their extravagant expressions of gratitude and delight. It was impossible to forget for a moment that it was Christmas. One could see it in the faces of the servants, released for a whole week from their daily tasks, and rejoicing in the prospect of dances and parties and visits to friends and kindred on distant plantations. The children, too, with their boisterous merriment and constant talk about the holidays, seemed determined to bear it in mind, and the great dinner... The one dinner of the year in the preparation of which Aunt Tibby had exercised all her skill. This in itself seemed to proclaim that it was Christmas. Oh, Miss Fanny, said Little Joy, don't you wish Christmas lasted the whole year round? The short December day was fast drawing to a close as a party of four rode leisurely along the road crossing La Belle Prairie. The ladies, though scarcely recognizable in their close hoods, long blue cotton riding skirts, and thick gloves, were none other than Miss Nancy Catlett and our friend Fanny, while their attendants were Mr. Chester, the town gentleman, and Massive Dave Catlett, who had come over from his new home in Kansas, on purpose to enjoy the Christmas festivities on the prairie. One of those night parties, of which Nanny had talked so much, was to come off at colonel turner's and this was the place of their destination in accordance with the customs of society in these parts they were to remain until the next day and accordingly black viney rode a little in the rear mounted upon old poke neck and bearing sundry carpet-bags and valises containing the ladies party dresses just at dusk our party reached their journey's end and dismounting one by one from the horse block in front of the house, they walked up the road and were met in the porch by Miss Belle Turner, Nanny's particular friend. This young lady, with long curls and a very slender waist, performed the duties of hostess in a free and easy manner, ushering the gentlemen into the parlor where a fire was blazing on the hearth, while the ladies with their attendants were conducted upstairs to the dressing room. Here, a dozen or more were engaged in the mysteries of the toilet, braiding, twisting, and curling, while as many servants were flying about, stumbling over each other, and creating the most dire confusion in their efforts to supply the wants of their respective mistresses. The beds and chairs were covered with dresses, capes, ribbons, curling irons, flowers, combs, and brushes, and all the paraphernalia of the toilet, while the ladies themselves kept up a continual stream of conversation with each other and their attendants. Into this scene, Nanny entered with great spirit. Shaking hands all round and introducing Fanny, she hastily threw off her bonnet and shawl and bidding Viney unpack the things she set about dressing in good earnest. How nice to get here so early, she said. Now we can have a chance at the glass and plenty of room to move about in. Fanny wondered what she called plenty of room, but had yet to learn the signification of the term when applied to the dressing room of a western party. Thicker and faster came the arrivals, and it being necessary that each lady should undergo a thorough transformation in dress before making her appearance downstairs. The labor and confusion necessary to bring this about can be imagined. Such hurryings to and fro, such knockings down and pickings up, such scolding and laughing. In short, such a babble of sounds as filled the room for an hour or two Fanny had never heard before. Completing her own toilet as soon as possible, she seated herself upon one of the beds and watched the proceedings with great interest. You, Suki, bring me some more pins directly. Oh, please, Miss Allen, mind my wreath. Jewel, how much longer are you going to keep the wash bowl "'Dar now, Miss Eveline done get her coat all wet. "'Did you know Tom Walton was here? I see him in the passage. "'Miss Bell, that's my starch bag. "'There now, don't them slippers fit beautiful? "'Why don't that girl come back? "'Oh, Liza, just fasten up my dress. That's a dear girl. "'Come, girls, do hurry. We shan't be dressed tonight.' How it was all brought about, Fanny could not tell. But at last the ladies were dressed, the last sash pinned, and the last curl adjusted. Dresses of thin material cut low in the neck with short sleeves seemed to be the order of the night, which, with wreaths and bunches of artificial flowers in the hair, gave the ladies a handsome appearance. With Miss Bell at the head, they all descended to the parlor and found the gentlemen strolling about employing themselves as they could till the night's amusements commenced and indeed both ladies and gentlemen manifested such eagerness to adjourn to the play-room that the signal was soon given and they proceeded forthwith to a log building in the yard formerly used as a schoolroom. games soon commenced and were carried on with great vigor the young people making up in activity what was lacking in gracefulness of motion Game after game was made out, the ladies vying with each other to see who should laugh the most, while those who were left chatted gaily together in groups, or tried their powers of fascination upon some long-limbed specimen of humanity. What calls a gentleman upstairs so frequently? inquired Fanny, innocently, as groups of two and three disappeared up the steps leading to the room above you are not aware then what a formidable rival the ladies have up in the loft said mr chester gravely though there was a comical expression about the corners of his mouth no indeed well i only hope you may not witness the overpowering influence sometimes exerted by this same rival said mr chester but honestly miss hunter there is serious danger that some of these light-footed young gentlemen may ere long be obliged to relinquish their places in our party, all through the attractions presented to them up yonder. I don't know in the least what you mean. In plain words, then, they are talking about horses up there. Men are crazy over horses, you know. Are you in earnest, Mr. Chester? Certainly I am. It would not answer, I suppose, for ladies to intrude upon their modest retirement, or I could convince you in a moment. How can you joke about it, Mr. Chester? I think it is perfectly scandalous. Well, it is bad enough, said her companion more gravely. One living at the West becomes accustomed to such things. I never will, said Fanny. If I had known these Christmas parties countenanced such impoliteness, I would have stayed at home. A set supper, Nanny had several times expressed a hope that Mrs. Turner would provide, and she was not disappointed. The long table was bountifully spread with the substantials of this life, and though not in the style of an entertainment in Fifth Avenue, it was admirably suited to the guests who partook of it. A roasted shoat graced each end of the board, a side of bacon the center, while salted beef cut in thin slices with pickles and cheese constituted the side dishes. Hot coffee, cornbread, and biscuit were passed to each guest, and a piece of pound cake and a little preserved fruit for dessert. There was plenty of laughter and hearty joking at the table, and the flushed faces and increased volubility of the gentlemen gave too certain evidence of the truth of Mr. Chester's assertions. The langish day, a an end, says the old Scotch proverb, it was with a sigh of relief that Fanny at last saw Uncle Jake lay down the tortured fiddle and the guests with lingering steps and wishful eyes retired to seek the few hours of repose that were left of the night. Confusion, worse confounded, reigned for a time and the apartment appropriated to the lady's use, and the numerous couches spread upon the floor increased the difficulty of navigation. At last, when quiet seemed restored, and Fanny was sinking into a peaceful sleep. She was aroused by her neighbors in an adjoining bed, three young ladies who declared that they were all but starved and must have something to eat before they could go to sleep. One of the black women was dispatched to the storeroom for some slices of cold bacon, and, sitting up in bed with the candle before them, they made a hearty repast. Of course you can't eat half as much as you want at table, said one of the young ladies apologetically. One always wants to appear delicate-like before the gentleman. "'What in goodness' name Nan made breakfast so late?' said Dave the next morning, or rather noon, as they were returning home. "'I thought one while we wasn't going to get any.' "'Why, you see, they hadn't any wheat flour in the house for the biscuit,' said Nanny." and they had to send three miles over the prairie to Mr. John Turner's to borrow some. Twenty people invited to stay overnight and no flour in the house,' said Fanny in amazement. "'It rather shocks your Yankee ideas of looking out ahead, Miss Hunter,' said Mr. Chester, laughing. "'We are used to such things out this way.' "'Oh, Miss Fanny, people can't remember everything you know,' said Nanny." Bell says they never thought a word about it till this morning. End of A Western Christmas in the Old Days Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson, Davy, Florida